Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Be Her Village podcast. My name is Caitlin Legreas, and I'm the founder of Be Her Village. Be Her Village is an online gift registry for what moms really need, support, not stuff. We're talking to providers and people who care for moms in their pregnancy, their birth, their postpartum. We're talking to real moms and hearing their stories and really just getting into all the good stuff that comes along with new parenthood. So check us out, tune in, and let us know what you think. Hey there, Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Be Her Village podcast. So we have some awesome stuff happening in 2022. It's going to be an exciting year. We have some awesome podcast guests coming up. We have some really great tools and resources that are going to be popping up in our, in our blog and our content and all that stuff. We're really excited about what's happening in the new year. So to get us started for this new year, we're talking all about how to pay for your support because that's what Be Her Village is about. We're an online cash gift registry for parents to get the funds they need to pay for the support that they truly deserve. Funds that will make their pregnancy experience better, things that will make their postpartum experience better, and really helping parents to take care of themselves so then they can have a better journey into parenthood because this shit is hard. (laughs) So today, the founder of Be Her Village, Caitlin McGreas, is talking with Emily Moretsky, who is a high school engineering teacher, but also doubles as a financial coach. She's not pregnant yet, but is currently planning on how to financially get set up for the cost of pregnancy, childbirth, and all of the years following that. So in this conversation, we talk about the cost of support, how you can afford support, um, you know, whether it's using Be Her Village or some other kinds of funds. And she gives us the lowdown on all of that and where to get started. So if you are a financial newbie, like if you've just, you know, done the very basic banking and checking account system, this episode is for you because she breaks down how to get started in a really easy, digestible way that feels very doable and very not scary. And that even if you are, you know, 35 and your kids are 10 years old or whatever, and you're just getting started now in your financial journey, don't worry, it's not too late. In this episode, they talk about the things you can do to set yourself up for success if you're thinking about having a family, how to work on your financial health and getting that all in order before you have kids because they are not cheap. And, you know, we talk about how to incorporate this kind of planning when you're planning to pay for your support. As much as we would love that parents had tons of paid leave after they have their baby and that doulas and pelvic floor PTs were covered by insurance for the majority of us, that's just not the case. So we want new parents to know that they have resources, that there is a way to get these things paid for, and there's a way to to plan for all of this. Enjoy this episode with Emily Moretsky. You can find her on Instagram. She is the teacher financial coach. And I'll link all of that info in the show notes as well. Enjoy the episode and have a great day. 
I'm Emily Moretsky. I am a full-time high school engineering teacher, but I also run an Instagram account called Teacher Financial Coach, where I just post about financial topics that are specifically related to teachers, whether they're in New York City or further out. Um, and then I also do some financial coaching for teachers, just kind of helping them set up retirement accounts, setting up budgeting, and just making financial plans for their future. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for being here. Um, you know, people listening might think, why is a teacher financial coach coming to talk to us um, about financial planning for families? But one of the reasons I thought, besides the fact that I just love your account and follow it for my own personal finance, because my husband is a New York City teacher, um, is that you're in sort of the life stage of newly married, possibly thinking about having a baby, you know, at some point in the near future or near distant future. And I feel like you're uniquely positioned with that personal lived experience and your know-how and knowledge about uh, financial planning and personal finances to speak to me today and to share with our families that are listening about the sorts of things to even be thinking about as you're adding a, fam a baby into your family. So that's that's what we're here for. And I just, I would love to sort of even kick it off with that. Um, a little bit offline, we were just talking about like your financial um, challenges that are coming up, just having gotten married and what that looks like trying to combine accounts and trying to figure out where money flows. Um, if you don't mind sharing what that's like for you and what sorts of things, if any, you're thinking about as you think about expanding your family. Sure. Yeah, I would say getting married has been a transition in a couple of different ways. Um, my husband and I have been living together for quite some time, been taking the approach of, you know, almost like roommates living together in the sense that we were just splitting things down the middle for as long as we've lived together. And now that we're married, we started to have some more conversations about what that's going to look like going forward. We both make different amounts of money, uh, have different approaches towards like saving and investing. So starting to have those conversations and setting things up to align to our goals. And then also we are thinking about having kids in the future as well. So thinking about all of those upcoming costs and how that will fit into our budget and how we'll start to plan for what those expenses are and how we're going to meet them. Awesome. So I would just love to set or just like kind of set the stage. Like I want to talk about the costs of support, the hidden costs of doulas and lactation consultants and tongue ties and midwives and all these things that sort of are not covered by insurance, but are vital to the maternal experience, the maternal healthcare experience. But I also want to just state that I, I want to have this conversation, even if we don't talk about Be Her Village, because as much as it's important to talk about affording that support and Be Her Village as one of those tools, I also think it's really powerful for women to step into financial literacy and to step into thinking about finances, knowing about it, paying their bills, understanding, and being sort of like literate and competent and confident in that. And I think that's part of what's so exciting about what you're doing with your Instagram page and the, the content that you're creating, because you are really empowering a female dominated industry to start thinking about planning. Um, I'd love for you to speak to that a little bit. I know it's not on our list of questions for today, but it just 
sort of struck me as part of what's so important about having this conversation is that, you know, I think you and I are both, you know, the people that are in charge of the finances in our families and thinking about this deeply. My sister-in-law is a financial planner. She's absolutely doing all of the finances, but there is sort of this, you know, stigma or this reality of women not wanting to know and not feeling confident and not knowing, and then really being disempowered and not having the skills or the tools necessary to think about money. So can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, do you agree? Do you think I'm like <laughs> off base or, and in your experience, do you find women and female, you know, uh, people that are interested in finance? Yeah. I mean, financial education in general is, is lacking for many of us growing up. We don't have, most of us don't take a course on financial literacy in school. And I think a lot of us go out into the world, just not really having a ton of knowledge in this area. And then, you know, part of being a teacher, which is a female dominated career, a lot of us are told that our jobs will take care of us and there's not too much planning that needs to get done. So we don't have to worry about retirement because there is a pension there and we have great insurance. We don't have to think about healthcare costs. And while for teachers, that is true, it's not really the entire picture. And there's just a lot more planning that has to go into this. Like you're talking about a lot of um, like medical and childcare things that are going to come up um, that insurance isn't going to cover. So you have to start being proactive about planning for these things. I think that's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so let's let's talk about it. I wrote like a short list mm -hmm. of of the things that I can think about, but like, what are the things that when you're thinking about adding a baby to your family, like financially, what are maybe like the top five things that come to mind about how what do we have to plan for that we're not planning for as single or even couple child free people? Sure. Um, yeah, I really started thinking about what are the things you need to start planning for even before you get pregnant? What are the things you start planning for once you are pregnant? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, as, as someone who is in a family now thinking about having a baby, I think one of the first things is to start looking into short term disability insurance. Um, mm -hmm. For many jobs, you might get paid for part of your maternity leave the whole thing, none of it. So that's a big consideration. So if you're signing up- We could have a whole episode about that, Emily. Like, and by the way, feel free to insert all of your political feelings here because, or I'm happy to on our behalf. It's ridiculous mm -hmm. that that has to be, that that was the first thing that just came out of your mouth is like, well, we have to apply for disability insurance because there's no- paid parental leave in our country, guaranteed. Absolutely. I mean, having a child should not be considered a disability at all, and we shouldn't have yeah. to worry about our income during the time that we are off. But, you know, we are not living in a perfect society, so we need to start planning for ourselves for that time until things improve. So disability Absolutely. insurance is one that you can start paying a little bit out of your paycheck. Um, most people are recommended to sign up for that at least, you know, a month or two before they start trying to have a baby. What? I don't know anything. About, I'm like actually in the dark. So, <laughs> so if you could shed light, what does that mean? Like, do you just like call up like MetLife or like, where do you find 
short-term disability and what do they pay and what I don't know anything about it varies a lot um so many jobs especially if you're not going to be getting paid during your time off after having a baby um they will already have disability insurance in place for you at your job but for teachers in New York City and others that don't have that built in you can actually call up an insurance company and say you want to enroll in short-term disability coverage so for my And and it's not like, oh, well, way to do that because you know you're going to need it in two months. Like, it's fine. You can still do that. You have to do it before you are pregnant. So it has to be a very proactive thing. So I think it's really like it would kick in for benefits when you gave birth if you had signed up nine to 10 months in advance of having that baby. Wow. Okay. Well, that's extremely helpful. And I'm sure there's people listening to this that are not yet pregnant. So go out there and and think about that. Hopefully by the time people are listening to this, I'm just like dreaming of a world that everybody has paid parental leave universally, but we do have to make plans for the, the, the reality of what is now. Okay. So short-term disability. And what does that look like? Are they giving you just like a monthly stipend or what is the payout, the payout from the insurance? So there are many different plans you can sign up for. So just speaking for the one that I have personally signed myself up for, I think it's around $300 per month. That you're paying or that they're paying? That I will be paying into this plan up until birth. Um, But the payout will be Roughly ten to twelve thousand dollars, assuming I don't have any oh, wow. major complications uh, when okay. I gave birth. So when I ran the numbers, it made sense for me, and everyone would have to run the numbers themselves. And there are different levels of the plan. So even if you couldn't afford to pay like a couple hundred dollars per month, there are cheaper plans as well. They'll just pay you out a little bit less at time of birth. Wow. So. This is great. I'm learning so much. (laughs) And I'm like in this field and I've already had a bunch of kids. So this is amazing, Emily. Awesome. I wish it were publicized more. I think it is targeted more towards people who are not paid in full when they take their maternity leave. So luckily I will Mm -hmm. hopefully have a decent amount of coverage from my income. And then the short-term disability insurance, I am factoring in to pay for a lot of these services that you mentioned earlier to make sure I have that as part of my budget for when I do give birth. I love that. That's a really, really great option. Awesome. Cool. What else is on that list of things to consider as you're adding a baby to your family? I would say if you're not yet pregnant, the next big step is just getting your personal financial house in order. So making sure you're on track for your retirement planning, um, checking in on your budget, paying off high interest debt. You don't need to be debt free by any means by the time you have a baby. But ideally, if you have credit card debt, for example, or anything else with a high interest rate, you really want to get that down as, uh, as close as possible by the time you give birth. And I would say just like another thing to keep in mind, too, is one thing that we have been doing to plan out for, you know, a strained budget once we have more members of our family is we have been contributing a lot more towards our retirement accounts, just so it feels like we have less cash flow right now. So that if we Mm -hmm. need to adjust that in the future, we've already gotten a little bit used to living on less, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. And And from everything I know about retirement planning, which I feel like we should have an entire other episode about that, because often people at this stage thinking about getting married, buying a house, having a baby, it's, you know, retirement feels 
really far away and not important. And yet time in the account is so important. Mm -hmm. So even if you don't end up tapping into it, or even if you do and you end up shutting down your retirement contributions, at the least you've gotten them in early and they're growing in a really big way. And for anyone who's listening, I would love for Emily, if you could just give us like a two minute, like (laughs) a lesson on compound interest, because if we have the ears of, you know, women and families that are growing and we can explain compound interest, I feel like it would be so, so valuable. Do you mind giving it a stab? Sure. (laughs) You know, compound interest, uh, I think they joke it's like the eighth wonder of the world, but basically it's just the idea of like a snowball rolling down a hill. So you're starting with a a small snowball at the top and then as it continues to uh, roll, it picks up a little bit more as it goes. And not only that, the the snowball is becoming bigger, so it's able to pick up more and more as it goes. So by the time you reach the bottom, that snowball is now the size of a boulder, for example. And that's kind of how your savings would work as well if it is invested. So you're Mm -hmm. starting out with something small, and then over time, and the more time you have, the more space it has to grow. So the more you can put away earlier when you're younger, the more growth potential it has. So if you're starting to invest at age 25, the timeline is going to look a lot different than if you're starting at 35 or 45, for example. So the older you are, the more you personally have to put into your accounts because there's not a lot of time. But when you're starting at 25, you only have to put in a little bit of money for it to really grow into something large by the time you retire. Awesome. Yeah. So if anybody's listening go and Google compound interest. It's wild. And it's actually, it really is the eighth wonder of the world. And it's how, it's how capitalism works too. And like the other way, because compound debt is also happening and that's where we can get into this debt hole, but that tool for how debt builds up against us can be used in our favor in order to build money. um, That's just sitting in an account. And I think so, so many of us certainly I had this impression I was, you know, I was marched into a bank when I was a little kid. I I was lucky that I had parents that did that, but we opened a savings account and I was told you should save, you should save, you should save. And I think people think saving means actually putting it in a savings account and not putting it in an investment vehicle. And we're told that the stock market is scary, but there's really safe ways to invest and in a way that can really secure your future. So Absolutely. Just putting money in a savings account is actually like the more riskier option than investing it because your investment options are really going to grow and savings is just going to sit there and unfortunately get eaten away by inflation. Yeah. So retirement, short-term disability. Um, One of the things that I think about too, that it's just, it's such a burden on parents. I feel like we have to address it is childcare costs. What is, what is the best way to attack that from a financial planning perspective? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a huge monthly expense that you're not used to paying for pre-children. And I think in New York city, you're looking at $2,000, $2,500 a month in some areas. So it's just a huge chunk of the, of the money coming out. So I would say we have been preparing for that by increasing our retirement contributions now, knowing that by the time we have kids and they're in daycare, we're going to have to cut that probably in half in order to make up some of that money. 
Um, my husband, who is much more, he's very into saving. He's already been putting money aside every single month for the last year just to start a sinking fund. So we'll have some money in place for childcare when that time comes around for us. Wow. So I actually, I love personal finance and I research and learn and set up my whole family. I would, I used to watch, this is so funny. I just had this memory. I used to watch Susie Orman at like 11 o'clock on cable back when cable was a thing when I was like a kid or a teenager. Um, But you are the one that taught me what a sinking fund is. So I wonder if you would just, you mentioned it. What is a sinking fund? Yes. Sinking funds are great. It is basically a separate account that you would have within your, your full bank account. So for example, I have a checking account. I have in a savings account, which is basically my emergency fund. And I also have like two different sinking accounts. So our sinking funds, my apologies. Um, So Mm -hmm. one of them right now is for traveling uh, and another one Mm -hmm. is for future kid expenses, but you can set them up for anything. And basically a sinking fund is for semi-irregular expenses that you are anticipating. Mm -hmm. So I don't travel every single month. I don't build that into my monthly budget, but I probably go on a trip maybe two to three times per year. So if I'm putting a couple hundred dollars into that sinking fund every month, by the time a trip comes up, I already have money budgeted for that. Same thing with having like a baby sinking fund. So if you know you're going to be having a child, you know there's going to be large expenses coming up in there. You don't know exactly when they're going to happen. If you're just putting a little bit in there every month over time, by the time those expenses do come up, you do have money there. That's great. Do you actually set up a separate account or is it more of an accounting like line item within your checking account? I think it depends on your bank. Like I'm using bank of America and it was easy to just open up like a separate checking account basically. Uh, But different banks will do it different ways for you. So it it just depends on your situation. I love that. It's a little bit like um, the envelope system, but like (laughs) digital. Actually, that's a really good way of thinking about it. I love it. I My parents did the envelope system. They had all cash. It was like the late 80s, early 90s. Maybe they were drug dealers. No, I'm just kidding. But like cash was like how people did things. We didn't have anything digital. So it's the digital envelope yeah. system. I love that. Awesome. Um, so one last thing that comes to mind when thinking about what we need to think about for new families. We have uh, short-term disability, maternity leave, childcare costs. Um, a big thing that jumps out at me is life insurance. Can you talk to us a little bit about why we might need life insurance, what it actually is, and how to purchase it? If you have any tips on that, because I, I feel like the life insurance industry is a little predatory. Like there's a lot of options that are not great. It's like used car salesman slime factor that comes to me. So I I would love to just like hear your professional trusted take on how we think about life insurance. Do we need it? And how do we find it? Absolutely. And honestly, I was going to use the same word. Predatory is often a good way to describe different insurance policies. 
Um, I'm not an insurance expert. I've looked into this a little bit, but for 90% of people, what they need is term life insurance. So it's going to cover you for a certain period or term. Um, so if you are having a child, you don't need a whole life insurance policy for them. It's like a very expensive form of life insurance. So term would be for, let's say, 20 years. So if you were to pass away during those 20 years, you have set aside like basically a certain amount of money that you're insured for that would go towards whoever is like the dependent on that account. So if you have a $50,000 policy, $500,000 policy, that money would go towards them. The idea is hopefully at the end of your term, your child is either old enough to support themselves or you have personally saved enough money to your name that that money would be able to go towards them. So if I were to pass away, let's say at age 50, and I had a, I don't know, 15-year-old child, um, and my term policy was over, <laughs> let's say it had just expired. At that point, I would hope to have enough in my retirement accounts that my child would inherit that money if I had named them as the beneficiary. And that would be theoretically enough to support them for a number of years until they were able to support themselves. So that's why you don't need a whole life policy. The term is just enough to cover your child if something terrible were to happen before you personally have enough assets and savings to your name for them to inherit. Yes, that's great. And it's so important because I think I think what happens with these whole policies is that they they're then sold as like, well, it's an investment and you get your money back and all, you know, but the truth is of these whole life insurance policies is that you don't need that coverage. After a certain point, you, your child is independent or you don't have dependents or you have enough assets that you can maintain your lifestyle, even if someone passes away. Um, but the other thing is just like this opportunity cost, right? Because if you spend $50,000 over, you know, you know, 50 years of contributing to this whole life insurance, yeah, you might make $20,000 on top of it, which sounds like a lot, except if you had put that 50,000 in an index fund or a 401k, it could be $3 million. And <laughs> you're really, you're missing out on all of that, that chance to grow that money a lot bigger. Um, so yeah, whole life insurance, there's very few reasons, I think. I wonder, like, I'm thinking of, like, families with children exactly. with special needs. Like, there might be situations where it's a really good idea. But for most of us, it's Yes, not. absolutely. For 90% of people, term would be appropriate. There are some situations if your child might need extended care through adulthood or for a few other circumstances, which another policy might make sense for you. But absolutely, you shouldn't just take the advice of an insurance salesperson who's calling themselves a financial advisor. What you really want to do in that situation would be to meet with a financial planner, especially someone who might charge by the hour or by the month or by the year rather than getting a percentage of whatever product they're selling to you. That's excellent. Thank you. I appreciate that we were able to touch on that for sure. Um, and I think the last big thing that we, I want to touch on is this need for support for parents. Um, I mean, this is the work that we're doing with Be Her Village. And I love, love short-term disability in advance of pregnancy to access funds. That is like <laughs> blowing my mind. And it's 
it's something we're going to be talking about because the thing about Be Her Village, we're a gift registry that helps people raise funds to pay for the support they need. We are very much, though, something that addresses the immediate. I mean, we were talking about this with like paid maternity leave. I want the world to look like all of these services are covered by Mm -hmm. insurance. I want the world to look like you get an OBGYN directory and a doula directory and insurance pays for all of them. So this is like, that is my dream. But in the meanwhile, we have to come up with ways for parents to afford the support and think about the support. So I love, love, love short-term disability as an option. Be Her Village, creating a gift registry, having your community and your loved ones and your friends contribute to those support services and help you create that sinking fund of cash that you need. So, so important. Um, I wonder if you know anything or would like to speak about the other things that we have thought about when we're talking about planning for these support needs are things like HSA accounts, FSA accounts. How can how can people use the tools that are currently available to them to help defray the costs that insurance isn't covering? I would say FSAs and HSAs are helpful ways to save up that money just because you're basically getting a big tax advantage on those expenses. So if you have access to them through your job and you know these expenses are coming up, just setting aside that, that money from your paycheck every month is a big help for that. Excellent. So here's the other thing I want to ask. I can imagine that there's some people that are listening to this that are like, great, I've done all of this. This isn't really new information. Awesome. I'll make a Be Her Village gift registry and everything will be dandy, you know? And then I'm imagining that there's some people that just heard us go through this list of like, oh God, I have to think about childcare. I have to think about leave and short-term disability and, and you know, doula costs. And, and maybe I want to buy a house. Like we didn't even talk about that, about increased medical co-payments. It's like one of the first times for most people who are having a baby, who are pregnant themselves, you know, there's many ways to have a baby, but who are entering this maternal health field as a patient, it's often their first time dipping their toe in any part of the American healthcare system. And it's kind of awful. To be honest. It's like, it's not really set up to, uh, to make us feel good. It's like, it's this, this system that is old and slow and you can get really lucky and have an awesome experience and awesome providers. But the reality is it takes a lot of work to, to set yourself up. And this is part of why we're having this conversation. I'm wondering for those people that are listening to this and feeling totally overwhelmed, what can they do? You know, let's say there's a woman that's listening to this, who's thinking about having a baby has no idea about retirement accounts. Doesn't know if it's even offered at her job you know, or, and just hasn't thought about all of these implications, where do we begin? Should they call you? Should they go to a website? Like, where do you start for somebody who doesn't really know and also feels super intimidated by all of these topics? Yeah, I would just keep in mind that time can be on your side. There are many months between finding out that you're pregnant and giving birth. So you have a couple of months to prepare for many of these. So I would say there are a ton of resources out there online that will talk you through how to set up a baby budget. Um, And really the first step for starting any of this is just figuring out what are your costs going to be. 
so it's figuring out, you know, talking mm -hmm. to other moms that you work with or talking to your HR department about what things are going to be covered in terms of giving birth, figuring out what services you're going to need. Is that a doula? Will you need to have, um, you know, daycare from week six or can you wait longer? How much time are you going to get covered for at work? So just kind of listing out what some of those expenses are. And then starting to think about what is your budget going to look like once you have this baby? And just trying to find that middle ground in between. Can you start to live on your new family budget now as a way to start saving up some money for some of these costs? So just trying to work through some of those things early, I think is a big first step. And then starting to look at your general financial picture. And if the general financial picture things like retirement and investing feel intimidating, there are plenty of professionals out there who you can work with, whether that be a financial coach or a financial planner or financial advisor. Um, a lot of folks start meeting with the financial advisor or planner for the first time right around when they're starting a family, because that's when most of these big expenses and big life changes are happening for the first time. So you're not alone. You have time, start planning, and then figure out what your next steps are. That's wonderful. And I just want to mention that Be Her Village has tools like this on our website. Um, we have workbooks, we have planners, we have things that can help you sort of tackle how am I paying for my support and how am I paying for all of the other things too. So we do have guides. Um, go to beherevillage.com and look into it. As far as financial planners, what what would you recommend? Like, are there certain like red flags? You know, their financial planning feels a little bit like the whole life insurance thing. Like everybody can call themselves one. What's, what would you say? Like what's, I know the word fiduciary comes to mind. What sorts of things can we tell new parents or really anybody who's listening um, in order to sort of not get caught up in something um that isn't in their interest. Can you share a little bit of like maybe a couple of tips for people to find a coach or a planner that feels good? Sure. Um, it is tough and everyone has different licenses and it is a little bit of the wild, wild west in terms of finding someone. Most people are generally recommended to work with someone who is a fiduciary and they're fee only. So you're not going to pay them like a percentage for every amount that you're investing, for example. So some people might say, oh, we charge one or 2% for this. It's better mm -hmm. for you to find someone you're paying for their time. So whether that's by the hour or signing up with a financial planner over the course of a year where you're paying monthly. So if they're fiduciary, they are legally bound to work in your best interest. And they're also not going to be buying you specific financial products if you're paying them for their time rather than their you're paying them to do the investing for you. So that are those are two things I would look for if you're looking for a financial planner. Awesome. That's great. But it also sounds like there's tons of resources out there for us to do this on our own. It doesn't have to be something that costs us money out of pocket. It's it's better to be thinking about any of this than to not be and to think about it as Absolutely. early as we can yes. than to be caught up. Awesome. I love it. Um, so as we sign off, and I, first of all, I want to say thank you for everything and, and all of your 
wisdom. And I just feel like I constantly learn so much from you. And I really appreciate you sharing what you know with our audience. Um, If you could give one piece of advice to the people who are listening, who are either thinking about or are already pregnant or have just brought their baby home, what would your advice be to those young families? I would say just starting to get an idea of what you would like for your baby and starting to figure out what those costs are going to look like and having conversations with your partner. Just kind of having an idea of what this is going to look like is going to start getting you in the mindset of starting to save for them and just getting a, a plan in place. That, and if you can, short-term disability insurance. <laughs> That is so big. I feel like we need to talk about that a whole lot more because I don't think, and this is part of what Be Her Village is working so hard on, is helping people think about what they need before it comes. Because right now, people think about doulas for their second baby because they don't even know what they need for their first. They think about lactation consultants when their nipples are already bleeding. You know, they think about a pelvic floor PT when, you know, six months have passed. You know, it's it's just not... We're thinking about these supports when we're in crisis. And similarly, so not only do we not know about them for pregnancy, but we certainly don't think about it before we get pregnant. So I love that advice. The earlier, the better. Um, And it's just, it's good to know. So everybody, after listening to this, go and tell somebody you know who doesn't have a baby (laughs) yet or who might have another one to get short-term disability and to go Google compound (laughs) interest. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you so much. This is great.